Greetings, kind leaders, to a slightly different and longer episode of the Kind Leadership Challenge. As I mentioned a couple months back, over the summer, I and an intrepid few longtime followers of the Kind Leadership Challenge have been beta testing the new improved version of the Kind Leadership Guild, a support group and community of practice where educational and library leaders come together to heal themselves, their teams, and their organizations so we can all effectively, humanely, and collaboratively build the better world that we need. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing my opening lecture from a recent Guild meeting, the ground rules we follow to create a psychologically safe and trusting space for leadership development and coaching, and maybe even chat a little bit with one of the charter members of the Guild. As you might guess, I'm doing this because I plan to open the doors to the Guild a little wider in the fall, and I'll share how you can get on the, to the wait list at the end of today's episode. But before I go to the tape, I'd like to explain the structure of a typical meeting of the Kind Leadership Guild. Because I want to keep the Guild accessible to any leader, and group sizes small enough for good coaching discussions, I hope to expand into more meeting times as the Guild grows. However, for now, there is only one monthly meeting time on a Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. When we gather, we do a quick round of introductions of both members and first-time guests. After introductions, I give a 15 to 20-minute mini-lecture on how to approach that month's topic from the perspective of kind leadership. This is the part of our meeting that you'll be hearing today. And as you'll hear, it's sort of like a longer and more detailed version of an episode of the Kind Leadership Challenge. And then comes the part that makes the Kind Leadership Guild different from a lot of these kinds of leadership coaching groups. I shut up, open up the floor, and we have a conversation. Not student to teacher, but leader to leader. We talk about real-world examples of that week's topic and crowdsource ways all of us myself included, can do a better job at growing humanely, managing effectively, and creating collaboratively to build the world our communities deserve. As you might imagine, that part of the Guild meeting is kept strictly confidential. However, for the next few minutes, sit back and enjoy a brief glimpse into the opening of a Kind Leadership Guild meeting as I show how we can use kind leadership to establish, communicate, and enforce our boundaries. Today, we are going to start talking about boundaries because I think this is an important thing because we all need to, for leadership to be to be a healing thing, which is, is kind of what I see as the essence of kind leadership, is making decisions that make your organization better, and by extension, the people that you serve, the community better. But that also has to start in making sure that it is a sustainable and, you know, hopefully healing practice for you as the leader, because, you know, can't pour from an empty cup, put on your your mask on the airplane, you know, all the cliches. So we got to start with ourselves. And one of the best ways we can do that as leaders is setting boundaries of making sure that people are, are, are clear on their expectations of how you do and do not want them to interact with you, to interact with patrons, to interact with 
themselves. I know during COVID, a big boundary that I had to enforce is a strong word, but you know, really, really encourage with my team during COVID, we all care very much about our jobs and we're all very passionate people. And when all of a sudden you're working from home for most of my team, really for the first time in our lives, all of a sudden it becomes very easy to spend 12 hours working, you know, the work expands to fill the time required. And I was really nervous at times that we were going to burn ourselves out. So I really, you know, I said, look, I'm going to model this boundary of you of when I log off from Outlook at the end of the day, which I'm going to do at the end of my hours, I'm going to turn off my phone notifications. I'm going to turn off everything. You can't, I mean, unless like you need to get a hold of me. And in that case, the very limited people who might need you out of office had my cell and could text me. I'm not going to be in till eight in the morning. And I want you guys to do that too. And so those are the kinds of things I'm talking about when I'm talking about boundaries is basically making sure that you are putting kind of a fence around the behavior that you want to see to make sure that things stay stay effective and humane for yourself and for your teams. So that is my take on what boundaries are and why they matter. Looking at boundaries through the lens of kind leadership. And I say this on the podcast a lot. The three core skills of kind leadership, the, the things that will allow you to heal yourself, heal your your organization, heal the broader community, and in so doing, build a better world are basically Growing humanely, where you basically get in touch with yourself, your emotions, and your values, and use that self-knowledge to make decisions that you believe will move your organization forward and yourself forward. And then there is managing effectively, which is getting real honest about the facts of the situation and about the resources you have available so that you can use those probably limited resources to their best effect to make a plan to solve this problem that you're trying to solve. And then third is creating collaboratively, where you get out of your head, you get out of your little project plan, and you start interacting with other people and you bring their perspectives into the conversation. And then from there, you can collaboratively kind of come up with a vision for what you want your team, your organization to be doing in the world around this topic. So we're going to talk about boundaries through this lens of kind leadership. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, what boundary do we need to set? Is there a new boundary we need to set to grow humanely? And a lot of times we find that a need for a boundary arises when we're having a strong kind of emotional response to something, a pet peeve. Somebody is doing something that is just driving us freaking bonkers. And we need to figure out what we want to do that. So I'm going to share kind of one of my personal leadership pet peeves, which is people who complain about something over and over and over. I hate this process. They won't give us enough money. They, you know, this person keeps bugging me at the desk, blah, blah. You know, you can think of a dozen things in your life probably. And they will complain and they will grumble and they will grouse but they won't actually take any action that is within their in their realm of control to change the situation they are dealing with. That just, it's, it's my thing. It's my pet peeve. I fully own that it's probably not a fully logical, but it drives me 31 flavors of bonkers. And so I know that this 
generates a strong negative response in me. So the first thing I need to do is I need to check in with what feelings I get about that. And you might get, yes, just my description of this. When I'm having to listen to somebody complain about something for the 15th time who has not taken any action, I just, I get irritated. I get frustrated. I want to, I'm like sometimes holding back an urge to like jump in and fix it for them. Sometimes I think they, you know, almost get so annoyed. I start thinking they'd rather complain about it than take action about it, which, you know, is a story I'm telling myself. It may or may not be true, but those are the emotions I'm feeling. And I need to get honest with them and, and say, what am I feeling? How am I feeling? And I need to process those emotions, however that is, whether you know, I personally am a big fan of journaling and free writing. I was just like, ah, I wish this person would do this thing. Or I go vent to my, you know, my husband or, or a, you know, a colleague about, I wish this person would do this thing. And I, I process those emotions so that I'm not like in the thick of them. And then I think, okay, this apparently is something I need to set a boundary around because I don't want to be driven bonkers by this situation every day, every week, every time I have this conversation with this person who's otherwise probably fairly nice. So I think to myself, okay, what is the value? There has got to be some, I would not be this annoyed if there was not some sort of like personal core value that is being threatened or violated or, 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 or whatever term you want to use by this person's behavior. And for me, one of my personal uh, values, and this is something that just is innate with me, just from my life experiences, is that I think all of us as people have an obligation to, I don't know, live our best lives, to see where we can make life better for ourselves, make life better for others. And we have an obligation to use whatever control we have, whatever abilities we have to live that best and most fulfilling life that our personal circumstances allow and help others to do the same. That's just, I mean, you know, that's, that's just one of my core values. And so when somebody is just complaining about the same thing over and over and not actually wanting to change the situation, that's, that's violating one of my personal core values. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily doing things evil or deliberate, but that's just, you know, that is why I'm having the emotional reaction I'm having. So knowing what I know about my values and knowing what I know about the emotions that are being caused by the violation of those values, what do, that tells me I need to set a boundary with this person around their complaining. And that is me, based on my feelings and values, I'm deciding to set a boundary of, I don't, I'm not going to listen to as much of this person's complaining anymore. So that's the first step. I have grown humanely by checking in with my emotions, checking in with the values that kind of explain or underlie my emotions and realizing, okay, we need to, for the sake of my relationship with this person and the broader projects we're working on together, I can't be listening to their complaining as much as I have been. We've made our initial decision. Now we have to figure out how we're going to implement it. And that is when we get into the second kind leadership skill of managing effectively, which is all about how am I going to enforce and communicate this boundary so that I can manage more effectively in a world where sometimes people are going to want to complain and not solve the problem at hand. And so the first thing I need to do is I need to really get honest about 
the facts of the situation at hand versus the story I am telling about that situation. I need to get, I, I need to really wrap my head around what is going on. I need to get kind of deeper knowledge. And that means you need to look at what is actually happening in these act- interactions, the facts of the story, the stuff a camera would see, the stuff a video, you know, a, a, a microphone would record, the literal things you would testify to in a court of law. And so let's say I've got this colleague named Bob who has an issue because, say he's a cataloging assistant, but the main cataloger has been, there's some process that he doesn't like that makes a lot of extra work for him. So he comes to me and keeps complaining about this process over and over. That is a fact. He comes to me and complains about this this process. However. What story am I telling? I am, well, I'm probably telling the story of he's not taking responsibility for his own problem. I don't know that. I don't know if he's had conversations with the other person. I just know he's coming to me to complain. I don't know if he's tried to to fix this and it hasn't been fixed. I also, you know, I'm telling myself, oh, he doesn't want to, he likes complaining. He doesn't actually want to solve the problem because the complaining, you know, means he gets to be the victim, gets to play drama. I don't know what's going on in his head. He probably doesn't even know what's going on in his head. Most of us don't know what's going on in our head most of the time. But that is a story that I am telling that this person just enjoys complaining and that's why they don't actually do anything. I don't know if that's true, but those are the stories that we all tell ourselves because that's how the human brain thinks. This is how we make sense of the world. There's nothing inherently bad about the fact that we take sensory input and tell ourselves stories to try to make sense of it. That is how human beings work for better and for worse. So rather than trying not to be that, we need to be conscious of those stories that we tell ourselves and basically think, okay, in what areas do these stories fit the facts? Are there any facts that would contradict this interpretation? And are there areas where we need to get more information to really understand the why between what this circumstance is going on. Because we need that knowledge to be able to make a plan to get ourselves extricated from these complaining conversations so often. So then the next question, once we've sort of teased out the facts from the stories and come to kind of a deeper sense of knowledge about the situation, is to think about the resources we have to solve this problem. Not just information, which we've just talked about, but also time, money, and relationships or political capital, basically other people that you can bring into the situation to help you with this situation. So money is not really an issue, not really relevant to this conversation, but time is because part of this irritation I'm having about this person coming and complaining to me over and over is that I could be doing better things than listening to this person telling me for the 15th time about how annoying the cataloger is for this process. I've heard this. I know I have no control over this thing, whatever. I don't care. You know, so I need to think about, okay, how much time am I willing to give to listening to this person in the name of strengthening our relationship and also building enough political, you know, personal capital, enough relational capital with this person to be able to say, hey, I sympathize with you. I empathize with you but I can't be the person you come to all the time with this problem because 
that's not working for me, you know, and however you want to set that boundary. So you figured out how much resource you're, you're willing to invest in terms of time now that you've kind of gotten to a good understanding of a kind of a more clear eyed, nuanced understanding of what's going on. And now the culmination of this second step of kind leadership of managing effectively is, okay, what's my plan for the next time this person comes up and starts complaining? And my plan is going to be, to use a phrase, I've actually used this a couple of episodes of the podcast, to essentially ask, are you looking for comfort or solutions? Because that is an important thing to ask to anybody and to yourself, frankly, when somebody is frustrated about a situation or you're frustrated. I am a very solutions-oriented person. I'm human. I sometimes need to just complain and blow off a little steam, but I tend to switch very quickly from this situation sucks, whatever it is, to okay, now what? And then move to that process. But I have had to learn over the years that I'm a little different than a lot of people in that way. Some people do need more time to vent and think and process. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't mean you have to be available for all of that. So in this situation, this hypothetical situation, what I've decided to do is basically say, okay, Bob, what is your goal here? Are you just needing to vent or would you like to bounce my ideas off me for solving the problem? Because if you just need to vent, I've got a meeting in 15 minutes. Whether or not I really do, I have a meeting in 15 minutes or five minutes. You know, set that boundary so that you, you maybe you'll give them a little bit of time for sake of the relationship, but then, hey, I got to go. Just kind of like, honestly, those of you librarians in the room, the person who's, you know, going on and on at the desk and you need to get stuff done. Or for our teachers, if you've got a student who's just kind of talking and monopolizing and you know filibustering the room and you need to you know let some other people get in on the conversation. That's how you set that boundary, that you're willing to be there for a little bit of the complaining, the venting, the struggling, but that you are interested in, okay, But if you want to move towards solutions, I'm happy to brainstorm with you on that. And and that would be the kind of boundary that I would set around that. So we made a decision about how we want to handle this thing that has been coming up and irritating us. We have now made a plan for how we're going to try to get to that goal. And now we get to the third step, which is of creating collaboratively, which is basically, in this case, we're answering the question is, what do we hope enforcing this boundary will achieve for ourselves, for our team culture, and for the people that we serve? And this is where you have to start talking to people, where you have to get out of your head, stop dealing with your, you know, making your, your little plans and your checklist and go, okay, how do we actually make this happen in the real world so that we can, by enforcing boundaries, build a better world in whatever form it needs to be? So first off, we need to zoom out. We need to think about this boundary. The fact that I need feel this need to set this boundary, what does that say about my relationship with this person, about maybe broader things that need to change in this relationship? What does it say about this team's culture that Bob, instead of going to the cataloger, the person they actually have the problem with, is coming to me and I'm maybe not even in that chain of command or maybe I'm a few levels up. Does this 
issue that is causing this need to set a boundary actually tell me something bigger that needs to change in the organization's culture? And what is it? And that's something that you can't necessarily just fiddle through and sit. You need to watch other people. You need to pay attention. You need to have conversations with other people and figure out, is this a bigger theme? Is this emblematic of something bigger that needs to change in our, our organization? A lot of times people for good reasons or not so good reasons, or just because they've been burnt in the past, are scared to talk to people they have issues with, or they are scared to try to make change because it's failed in the past. So why even bother? Just, you know, sit around and grumble about it. Why even try to change things? Because they won't ever get better. And you need to figure out what is going on. And then once you've figured out why you've got this kind of culture of complaining, if you're seeing that it's a broader thing, other than the fact that we're just humans and we complain, if there's broader issues going on that actually could be addressed by changing the culture, making it more psychologically safe, rewarding candor, those kinds of things. Once you've looked at that, you also need to think about in what ways does this culture of complaining, if you've identified it does exist, how does that impact our broader organization, because, you know, we all, be uh, be us in libraries or schools, we all report to a larger organization, be it some sort of city government, be it a school board, be it a university for those of us in the higher ed world. We all report to something bigger. So how does this culture of complaining rather than taking action, how does this harm that organization and how does it harm the people that are either stakeholders in the organization or the or that the people serve. Because when you talk to your team about we need to change this, sometimes they're like, oh, people complain, this is not a big deal. We've always done it this way. There's no real reason to change things. But if you can say, hey, because of this complaining, these problems aren't getting fixed. And because these problems aren't getting fixed, we are having XYZ problems serving our community all of a sudden, then the light flips, switch flips on. It's like, oh, this is actually having implications on our mission, on serving the people we need to serve. And it's important to identify a whether a thing like that exists. And then if it does, then communicate it to others. And then this is where you get with all your stakeholders, your team members, your um, the people you report to, your, your boss, even community members, depending on what's appropriate. And you just say, okay, what if we did accomplish a culture of less complaining and more proactive action? What might that look like? How could we get there? How could we tell we'd gotten there? And how can we work collaboratively to get together? And in that communication, in that collaboration, you can really create a vision for what a more proactive solutions-oriented culture might look like in your organization. And if you are then as a institution, as a team, all on board with the notion of, okay, we're going to start being more solutions-oriented, then you can really work forward towards the bigger vision that you can then attain as a team by moving away from this culture of complaining and moving more towards a culture of problem solving. So that's just one example. I just kind of pulled this out of my head, one of my little pet peeves around boundaries of how 
you can set a boundary and establish it and even encourage it, foster it in a way that's going to help you be a healthier leader, help help your organization do its work better and, you know, help your team and everybody else kind of build a better world in the process. So I'm curious, does anybody have kind of any thoughts or feedback, or even if you have a boundary that you feel like you could use some help thinking through, we can work through it right here. I hope you enjoyed this glimpse behind the curtain of the Kind Leadership Guild. As you can imagine, a community like this can only thrive with some jointly shared ground rules and core values. And in fact, collectively creating those ground rules and values was the first and only item of business for the kickoff meeting of the Guild back in June. I'll be sharing the Kind Leadership Guild's ground rules and how we created them in next week's episode. So between now and then, here's your challenge for this week. Head over to KindLeadershipGuild.com to learn more about the Guild. If you're ready to try the full experience, you can enter your email at the bottom of the page to sign up for a free guest seat in an upcoming meeting of the Guild. If you're listening to this episode in real time, our next meeting will be Saturday, September 9th, 2023 at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. I hope you join us. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Kind Leadership Challenge and for working to grow humanely, manage effectively, and create collaboratively in your own organization. Never doubt that day by day you're building a better world, even if you can't see it yet. So until next time, stay kind now. Oh, one last thing. If you're ready to take on this week's challenge but not sure how to start, head over to kindleadershipchallenge.com slash next to download the Next Steps Checklist.